Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of The Articulate Fly. On this episode, I'm joined by my friend from the other side of the mountain, Kenneth Andres. Kenneth is the trade show director for IFTD. He shares his fly fishing journey, his thoughts on how trade shows have evolved over the last 20 years, and what folks can expect at IFTD in Salt Lake City at the end of March. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. But before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. It really helps us out. And as we continue to create and distribute more diverse content, you may want to consider downloading our iOS or Android app. We organize our content by category, so you can go straight to the content that interests you the most. The apps are free, and the links are in the show notes. Alternatively, just search the Articulate Fly where you get your mobile apps. And our friend Blaine Chocolate has launched a new round of online tying classes for March. He'll be teaching folks how to tie his bucktail changer, as well as demystifying tying the jerk changer. The classes will be held live on March 12th, and all the details are in the show notes. Space is limited, so don't delay. Now, on to our interview. Well, Ken, welcome to the Articulate Fly. Hi, Marvin. It's good to have you on, and we have a tradition on the Articulate Fly. We always ask all of our guests to share their earliest fishing memory. Um, well, you know, I, I grew up in the mountains, and my dad was not much of a freshwater fisherman. Um, and we would go to Virginia Beach and fish off the out of Rudy Inlet, um, off the bridge there. And I think we mostly caught, uh, <laughs> we mostly caught, um, uh, bluefish and speckled trout, but it was, it was a lot of fun. I, I, I know there was a lot of horseshoe crabs out there too in, the, in those times, but, uh, it, those are my earliest memories of, of going fishing. Yeah, very neat. When did you come to the dark side of fly fishing? Um, it was probably my junior year of high school and, uh, a couple of guys, were uh and this is probably 89 90 yeah 90 91 um and they uh they like to go fly fishing and and you know we had rivers all around us and you know limited in and what i was um in, in my experience in freshwater fishing and we'd go bass fishing but um we would go out to the jackson river and uh start fly fishing and it was it was a lot of fun i liked it a lot i didn't do it enough um, didn't really get into it big until um, after my senior year in high school. Yeah, and so was the Orvis store already in Roanoke at that time? Yeah, and that's actually uh, so. I went when I, right before the the summer right before I went to college. Um, I ended up working at actually. It, I, I take it back. The Christmas of my uh, freshman year of college, I worked at the Orvis store to kind of help out for over the holidays. Um, in downtown Rona and um, I loved it and ended up coming back from college and then working um, in the summer um, the following year for uh, for Orvis and just loved it it was it was it I've just at that point I was I was in I was in deep yeah and the funny thing is is if you're in the know in Salem is where they have their distribution center and they've got an outlet there yeah and and, and you know so we're kind of an Orvis family. My brother worked at the outlet. There was one downtown and then there was the one at big one out in Salem. And he kind of flipped between the two. And I've worked at the retail shop downtown, uh, 
um, downtown in Roanoke. Yeah, and I think that the uh, rodeo grounds that are near the outlet are actually the same ones that were in the movie Borat. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> you know they have a pretty they have a pretty big uh, they have a big trout rodeo out there every year, which is really neat, and a lot of kids um, get to catch some trout for the first time, which is awesome. Yeah, very neat. So you started fly fishing in late in high school. We're kind of eating up with it in college. You know, who are some of the folks that have mentored you on your fly fishing journey and what did they teach you? So I'd say, you know, locally, you know, had the benefit of being around some, some great um, fishermen. Uh, Robert Bryant was my the manager of the store. And, uh, you know, and at the time, you know, I thought you, you could only catch trout with a four weight and it had to be, you know, on a dry fly and I had all these restrictions of, on, on catching fish and, and Robert kind of opened my eyes and kind of simplified it. And, you know, he's, I said, well, Robert, what are you going to use a number, you know, 18 blue wing olives. And he's like, Hey, I looked at his box. We went fishing one day on the Smith and he's like, yeah, you know, use one of these little rusty, uh, Adams. <laughs> and, you know, he just, he just, he was a magician, you know, he could make fish, catch fish, just knew where to put the fly. And that's where it kind of really kind of demystified fly fishing for me. And so Robert was one of those. I had Harry Steves around me, uh, you know, uh, locally. And, um, but, you know, I spent a lot of time watching a lot of video at that shop and I watched, you know, Mel Kiger, um, Lee and Joan Wolf, um, Stu Lapp, Lefty Craig, um, and these are kind of in the peak and flip pallet. Gosh, it was pretty cool. I just, I, I, I just took it by the fire hose and, and went out and did what I could to, to, uh, replicate what I'd seen and learned. Yeah. Very, very cool. And I know for, you know, gosh, Ken, probably the last 20 years or so you've been in the trade show management business. And I think you've really kind of focused mostly on the outdoor industry. And I'm kind of curious, you know, what attracted you to trade shows and how did you break into that game? Well, it, it's a, it's, it's, I didn't go to school for it. That's for sure. I don't think anybody that goes that's in a trade show business um, back then would, um, would go to school to be in a trade show. Um, I, I had a friend in Palm beach. Um, I transferred, I went to Hamden Sydney college and then transferred to college of Charleston. That's a whole nother story. Um, but i I met a good buddy of mine. Well, he's still a good buddy of mine. And, um, and he was from Palm beach. His dad ran a tile and stone uh, show in Orlando. And, uh, they asked me to come down and, um, help them with the show. And with the idea that my buddy would kind of be like the, the head guy and I'd kind of be the general manager. And so they showed us kind of the ropes and I got to go and work with foreign trade commissions and, and Spain and or Europe and, Spain and Italy and, you know, and learn the trade show business and the revenue side and um, expenditure side. So um, it was pretty neat. I, I really got a great vantage point on, on, on producing trade shows with them. Yeah. And so, you know, you started there, you want to tell folks a little bit, I know you've, you've been done multiple shows and I think probably your longest tenure was ICAST, right? Yeah. So, um, once I moved back to, I got out of, I left that, um, show I was covering, um, went back to Virginia, um, and, uh, I did a couple of things, sold caterpillars and, 
and at that. And I thought just, it's just not for me. I've been, you know, doing, moving so quickly in international trade that I got, took a job in DC and, um, worked for a trade show company, got back in that business. Uh, and then, you know, got, took a job with the American sport fishing association and which was great and, uh, worked for them for 10 years, ran the trade show. Um, and you know, when I got there, it was an interesting, it was interesting how the show was being run. And I felt like these, there's a lot of things that we could change and, um, you know, change that and grew the show. Um, but at, you know, after ICAST, um, went to work for the water sports industry. Um, I got hired for a for-profit show management company, um, to run, help sales with surf expo. Um, then got hired by the firearms industry and, um, I did that for a couple of months <laughs> and, uh, it, and I ended up, you know, leaving and, and going back to Emerald. Um, and it, it was a great, you know, it was a great experience in the firearms industry. I love to hunt and, uh, just wasn't the atmosphere for me. So, and then I came back to Emerald and ran an e-com show, um, called retail X, um, where I did that for a little bit for a couple of years. Uh, and then back into the fly fishing industry here with IFTD and I've uh, been doing that now for the last year and a half. So uh, it's great to be back in, in, in fishing and, and amongst uh, a lot of great brands and, and people that I've known for a long time. Yeah, very cool. And, you know, um, you know, I've done some shows on a much smaller scale uh, with the Federation. And I think it's, you know, goes without saying that it's an understatement. That there's a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes to make events successful you know, what do you think most average attendees uh, would be most surprised by that happens behind the scenes? You know, I, I, they just, they don't know, right? I think the, the, the less you hear from attendees, whether it's about parking or pricing or whatever, um, the better the show, right? I think uh, there's a lot that goes into contracting. You, you know, I go into, um, into, as a show producer, the idea is to, um, partner with uh, with different vendors, um, and their idea is to help you know create revenue streams for, for their business, and um, it really creates kind of a, a a huge you know economic impact for the community. So there's a there's a lot to be said about um, trade shows and and industry events and how it impacts the city. So. Um, there's a lot of things that people don't know uh, that we do that are important. Got it. And, you know, the other thing is for every event, something doesn't go according to plan. What's your worst trade show horror story? <laughs> Man, where do I start? There's, there's so many. And, you know, the, the, again, the funny thing is, is that if, uh, if I don't bring attention to it, then uh, people typically don't know. Right. And, um, unless you really have, uh, unless it's a really bad thing, I haven't had like anything that's been terrible where, you know, we've had a keynote issue or, you know, like a, a, a stage, you know, thing falls or, you know, a light, you know, goes out or microphone goes out. But, um, there have been some issues where I've had, um, F and B for like a board meeting <laughs> and, uh, you know, you have, you have help and you, you, you empower these, uh, your, your staff to, to take the lead and take, take the charge, take charge. And, uh, 
we had a staff meet or a board meeting that the food was ordered for the wrong day. And uh, I think a lot of these um, guys were hungry and really kind of waiting around. And I was thinking like, to myself, it was like 15 minutes before the meal was supposed to be served and nothing had shown up. And so I checked and we had to actually grab somebody else's lunch in the convention center and, <laughs> and, and give it to these board members. And again, but they didn't know. Right. And so uh, really with, with trade shows, it's a lot of problem solving. And so you kind of have to kind of keep your cool and know that there's a, there's a solution to everything. Uh, might not be the best one, um, but there is a, there is an answer. Yeah. So you've never had an experience like where you screwed up the M&Ms for Van Halen and they refused to perform? <laughs> no. And, and, you know, and it's just, it, there's, it's just funny because like, you know, I, we, for, at ICAST we had, I had Easton Corbin, you know, we had this country music concert. Um, one year and, and I had Eastern Corbin and he had this list of things that he, he wanted. And then the next year we had Cole Swindell and he had this whole list of things that he wanted. And, and I looked at these riders and I was like, man, this, these guys want a lot of stuff. And I was like, you yeah, know, what if I, what if I, I'm not being cheap, but like, what if I just kind of like not do everything in there? And you know what? People are pretty reasonable. You know, it's, it's not like it all had to be like white lure and, and, uh, and vodka and whatever, but, um, you know, you, you got, you got some beer in there and you got some food and, um, you know, people are, are pretty good about doing things, but, uh, you know, I try to meet a lot of people's demands with those kinds of things, but, um, yeah, it's, a it's a balancing act and, and it's a lot of relationships, um, and trying to make sure that people are happy. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Ken, and and putting aside COVID, you know, what changes have you seen in the outdoor trade show industry during your career? So, you know, I think if I, if we go back to the beginning of ICAP, you know, and I always say this and anybody that knows me will, um, will recognize this statement is that it was, it was a lot of gray haired men and blue blazers with briefcases, right? And I, and I felt like, you know, distribution was kind of throttled down to, it was two-step, right? So you had to, you know, these independent retailers had to go through a wholesaler. They had to go through uh, different channels in order to get the product. And to, today, that's, um, that can still be true with some of the larger manufacturers. But um, as we've gone, come down 15, 20 years, um, we're seeing a lot more direct-to-consumer manufacturers, you know, promoting their product. Um, on, in a in a virtual landscape or in a social media landscape, and opportunities for for the consumer to buy product um, directly from the manufacturer. Now, a lot of those fulfillments come from the retail shops, um, so retailers aren't cut out altogether. But um, you know, retailers have had to had to adapt to uh, some of the changes, especially recently here with COVID on, on how how how. Uh, supply chain and, and market and product purchasing has, has been has happened here. Yeah. And so, you know, kind of talking about COVID, do you think it's produced new changes or it has just accelerated existing trends? I think it's accelerated existing trends. Yeah. There's no question. Um, you know, again, I'll go back to the kind of the beginning and, um, with, you know, with ICAST, um, the, the biggest, you know, the biggest thing, the platform was like Twitter, right? So, uh, you know, and, and this, the show was still in Las Vegas. I thought, how, you know, I'm going to just put this Twitter wall. 
and people are going to walk into the show and they'll see this Twitter wall and all these tweets will come up and maybe they'll see their tweets and they'll tweet about the show. Um, and it's just so different now, right? The engagement's no longer just kind of in this micro community. There's, there's this huge network now. Um, and it's, I guess it's always been there, but you know, things have kind of been the, the conduits and everything has kind of been refined. Um, and how we, how information gets passed. So, um, I just, you know, COVID's really kind of changed a lot of, a lot of things. It's kind of ripped the bandaid off of companies that, you know, maybe they didn't want to spend the money for, a you know, a, a college grad that knows a lot about not, not just about Excel spreadsheets, but they know about social media, right? They know what the trends are and the keywords and the hashtags and, and even myself, I mean, I'm, I'm a step behind everything um, because I don't engage on TikTok, but that's, you know, a lot of information gets passed out there as well. Um, so it's, it is, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really um, interesting place to be having put on in-person shows for the last 20 years and seeing brand building on a more virtual stage. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, because I would think that have a real impact kind of on audience and kind of what people expect because, you know, you've, you've really kind of got this almost invisible digital thing going on outside of your trade show event, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that the, you know, if you ask, you know, you talk to a lot of guys and, and, and we'll talk about fly fishing retailer, you know, um, back in early 2000s, you know, I think a lot of manufacturers, you know, came out with a lot of orders, you know, it was an order writing show product was, you know, and fly fishing is a little bit different than um, the, the conventional market um, where it was um, more dealer direct, right? So manufacturers are dealing directly with their dealers and through manufacturers reps. And so this, so um, fly fishing retail was a real buying show. Um, and, you know, that was a, it was a migration and change in, in that. And it became more of a media show, but that was the trend with all the outdoor shows, OR, um, and, and ICAST specifically, um, became a lot more of a, um, a media show as opposed to a buying show. And so, um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a new way to, to look at things and, you know, IFTD is just is one of those. It's a it's a great place to to see product, um, and we really want people to come and enjoy the experience, but also know that they can still get out of coming to the show, but they can't get in a in a virtual experience. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting too because you know the fly fishing industry has really diversified, right? So it's gone from a trout based. Um, kind of fly fishing economy to, you know, now people are fishing for everything. And I would imagine that makes it a lot more difficult to kind of have that one show that solves everything. Yeah. You'd like it to be that, you know, you, you know, especially that IFTD is, you know, produced by after, you know, the association that represents, you know, the, you know, recreational, uh, fly fishing industry and manufacturers and guides and, you know, and, and retailers. Um, but yeah, it is, it's, it's, it's a, it's definitely one of those situations where things change and change so quickly 
um, that, um, you know, it, it's kind of spun everybody on its head, but it is, it is something that we can, you know, if we all kind of come together and, and talk about what it looks like going forward, um, I think we can have a pretty good outcome, especially this year. Yeah. And so, you know, talking about, you know, like, like, let's just say you pick the constituencies at, at the trade show out and say, it's basically kind of maybe based on the membership categories in the organization. Um, and you're the event promoter, you know, how do you make sure you check all the boxes for all the people? Well, I, I think that you have to ask, right. Um, I, I, one of my biggest conversations, you know, that I have with, with Lucas and, and others in the board and the show committee is I, and, and these are not just my conversations or, or, or my, um, my points of, of view, but everyone, I said, I think that we need to just ask the community and the membership, you know, what is it that, um, it's going to best serve the membership, uh, and not just the membership, but the greater industry, because not everybody that's in fly fishing is a member of AFTA, right? And so the idea is to appeal to those who are, who aren't members and, and fortify those who are members, um, and, you know, kind of move forward, um, together so that we can continue to have a great community, um, where trade and advocacy are, you know, locked hand in hand. Yeah. And, you know, kind of building on that. And, you know, we talked a little bit about some of the COVID things, but, you know, how do you see kind of the, the needs of exhibitors and um, dealers kind of shifting over time? Like how has that been, let's say the last 10 or 15 years? I think, you know, one, one idea is to kind of give them a plot is to give dealers a platform uh, and give them an idea. And we've done the dealer summit um, in the past and, you know, and it's been separate from um, IFTD. And I think, you know, moving forward, I think, you know, it's the dealer summit for this year is, the day before um, IFTD, so it's um, it's a day of seminars. Tuesday, um, March 29th, uh, in Salt Lake, and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is the IFTD show. And I know that you're going to be um, hosting um, a panel uh, on both days, but I, I think you know is just focusing on you know the needs of what the dealers are, and you know, and having the manufacturers being a part of that conversation. Um, but knowing that, you know, this marketing evolution is kind of changing now and we, you know, we've, we're trade shows have kind of evolved from buying shows to media shows. What, what is, what can we do now as we, as we gather, what can we talk about that's going to make a difference moving forward, knowing that, um, information is being passed on virtual platforms, right? Um, and so there'll be a combination of, 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 of that. Uh, but we you can't deny the fact that consumers, you know, consumers have now um, become a huge part. I mean, obviously they're, they're at the, you know, it's the market, it's the part of the uh, media trail that you want or the tail that you want to want to reach, but they're just as knowledgeable now coming out just because of social media, because of YouTube. Um, these are all in, we can't hide from it. You know, as, you know, we can't say, Hey, no, consumers can't be a part of this because they're already a part of this. And so I think looking forward, I think, you know, we now look at media, we look at, we have to look at manufacturers. We have to look at, um, 
uh, retailers, and we have to look at consumers as well as obviously guides and media. But that's that's really going to um, create a community that it'll it'll be a little bit more cohesive, right? And I think that we're on the we're looking into doing something like that um, here um, after IFTD. Yeah, it's interesting too because I mean there's a um, there's almost an old analog component, right? Which the networking and kind of gathering information, you know, I think in some ways that kind of industry intelligence, um, you really need to kind of get in person, right? I don't think there's an Instagram substitute for that, um, and I think particularly coming out of COVID, you know, you know, talking to manufacturer friends of mine you know, they really kind of missed that getting that kind of industry intelligence just by going out and being able to talk to a lot of different people all over the industry in one place. Yeah, no, that's a hundred percent. It's, it's just all about moderation, right? That's, I think what is, what's happening here. And I think there were a lot of people before COVID, they all pined and said, Hey, you know, I can do my job from work. I just wanted to be, I just want to work from home. Can I go work from home? I used to have employees. They would say, man, can I just work from home? I'm like, you know, you got to let me know in advance because you know I got I've got the I've got to tell my boss that why you're not here, and so COVID happened, and then people are like, well, wait a second, you can work effectively from home, right? But after two years of Zoom calls, I don't think I don't think there's there's anybody <laughs> that that hasn't had Zoom fatigue, right? And I, I think there's a lot of people that said, Hey, yeah, you know what? It was great to work from home, but I need to, that interaction. I need that, um, that feeling of like talking to a teammate or talking to, a, um, uh, my boss or my employee or just coworker, uh, in person. So, you know, I think there's a nice balance in there of what we can do, um, with an industry event moving forward that, that has a little bit of everything for everyone. Yeah. And I think it's really, it's not impossible, but I think it's really difficult to mentor virtually. Um, and I think it's really difficult to, uh, mentor new people virtually. Yeah, there's, there's no question. I think you're a hundred percent right. And I just, I, I don't want anyone to, to think that, you know, for 20 years I've been putting on industry trade shows to move over to a virtual platform because that's not it. I think that we need to figure out how to use virtual platforms um, or social media or YouTube, these kinds of these um, conduits to the consumer uh, to our benefit. Right. And, but still gather, still um, have that, um, the, the, um, the strength and numbers um, and understanding and just, you know, celebrate fly fishing. You know, there's a lot of great people and, in this industry and it's not all about one person it's not even about two or three people it's just kind of collectively as a group um celebrating a passion you know that we all love and enjoy and and we want it and we're the fortunate guys that get to make a living at it you know and i think that's um that's something to uh to to continue to work on yeah, I think it's interesting too, and I know you and I have t- talked about this a little bit. But you know, looking at the dealer summit is really a vehicle um, to help um, you know manufacturers invest in their retail network, right, and to teach them how to be better. And it kind of works out for everybody. Yeah, and I think you know what the big thing is. You know, is content, right? You know, it could be um, we can have these dealer summits and. 
these faraway places and, you know, beautiful locations and, and, uh, have some great content and people will come. Um, I think, you know, really what, you know, what we've learned, especially through COVID is that people are thirsty for content, you know, whether, um, and, and, and knowledge, uh, and that is, um, the dealer summits, one of those ways to get to the, to the dealer, um, that manufacturers can kind of like say, Hey, let's, let's bounce some things off of you and, and, and find out what's the sweet spot here and what you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, most trade shows that I've, I've seen are kind of tied to trade associations. And I was really curious, Ken, to get your thoughts on, you know, how a trade association should support its members. Well, again, I, you know, with ICAST, you know, the, the, the one big thing, you know, I, again, the, one of the big things I learned early again is that, um, you know, it's not just about one person. You, you really got to ask the question. You've got to go through committee. You got to go through boards. You have to have those individual conversations and, you know, people, you know, that might be upset about the show, you know, they just want to be heard, you know, and, and, you know, for the longest time, you know, I heard, all I ever heard was that this is all about the big guys. And I said, no, I said, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. It's not about the big guys because I'm for the little guy, you know, and I, and I would tell them and we go through the story about how, you know, you know, it took, we I worked with Yeti, I worked with Z man. I've worked with all of these, these brand, uh, 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 these brands. Um, and they started small and I, you know, we worked on, you know, uh, business plans and, you know, looking down the line. Now I didn't help them come up with those things, but the encouragement there was that, um, we wanted to create a forum that would allow for small entrepreneurial businesses grow, um, their passion or their product or their idea and be a part of something bigger. And that's really where it is. I mean, that's, that's what we're doing here with IFTD. We have a lot of you know, uh, manufacturers who produce, you know, just a few SKUs or UPCs and, or even, they don't even have UPCs. They just have products, you know, and, it, and it, they're limited in that. And they, they can make a living out of, um, of doing that. We want to help grow that and grow their, their brand and, um, and find ways to do that through the show and the association. Yeah. And so, you know, you've got the trade show piece, um, but then, you know, what about the things that aren't related to the trade show? I mean, what are the other things that you think an association should be doing? Well, again, it, it's, you know, the membership, um, it, the association serves its membership. Um, and if I haven't said it twice already, I'll say it again. You know, it's not any one person's idea or vision about where to take the fly fishing industry. Right. This is a collective bargaining issue where the membership gets a voice and they can be a part of a committee. They can be a part of the board and they can help drive the association into in the in the industry. Right. Um, to uh, greener pastures and growth. And so I think, um, you know, there's a lot of things from my perspective. You know, I'm really focused on the trade side. 
Um, so knowing that I can evolve the industry event, um, staying away now, kind of calling things or calling IFTD a trade show, but more of an industry event and moving it to, um, to while we have kind of seminars and content and, and a, and a B2B concept there, you know, we're looking at, you know, talking to, to, uh, influencers and consumers and, and building your brand through, through, uh, those different social media and virtual platforms. So from a trade perspective, you know, that's really, um, I can, if I could take what I know and my experience and listen to what the uh, needs are for members, then that's, uh, and do that for them, then that's what, um, will serve, uh, our members better. Yeah, got it. And we've kind of been touching on this a little bit, but we haven't really taken the deep dive and, you know, uh, everybody in the fly fishing industry knows that, um, you know, IFTD is going to be in late March and the beginning of April in Salt Lake city. You want to let folks know a little bit about the event? Yeah. So we were originally staging for, um, October 21st, um, or, of last year, um, or in or October two, uh, 2021, sorry. Um, of last year and then, you know, Delta hit and, and we postponed the show to March. And I will say, uh, to your listeners who are, um, who are in the fly fishing industry and are, and have an opportunity to come to IFTD, um, that the March deadline, the March date, um, is the earliest date that we could put the show, um, instead of waiting all the way to the following year. And there was, you know, there was a lot of, um, you know, like I said earlier, you know, my job is to create um, relationships. All of them are fiduciary in, in, in nature. And um, a lot of uh, contracts were written and there were uh, some cancellation fees. And so in order to mitigate those fees, I had to, um, uh, we had to accept a show that was going to be at a time when IFTD typically isn't, which is, in, um, is at the end of Q1. Um, beginning of Q2. So uh, it uh, it's it's going to be March 30th through April 1st. Um, we have a great lineup. We have the Dealer Summit, March 29th. Um, registration's open. Uh, we have a great floor plan. You know, I think that um, waiting on a couple of contracts, uh, but all the spaces are, are on hold. Uh, so we are essentially sold out on the show floor. Um, and it's, it's just, uh, you know, registration's picking up. I think it's the Denver show, the Ferinsky shows, uh, while they're not related to us, um, you know, Atlanta was a good show and, and the, uh, Denver show was great. I think, you know, as far as attendance, uh, and the one thing that we heard back, the feedback that I got, you know, is that, you know, they wanted to see the big guys, you know, and I think that's something that, um, you know, we can take into IFTD and I think there's a lot of retailers are going to come, um, are, are starting to sign up after the show, just kind of get that juice, you know, to get that tank full, um, of energy about, you know, gathering again. So we're, um, we're, we're on track to do, you know, pretty well as far as attendance, um, and media signing up, you know, uh, we've got a great media lineup, um, coming in and, uh, a lot of content and just, Hey, you know, just a lot of shaking hands and, and saying hello and, and doing it again after two and a half years. 
Yeah. And, and I know too, I mean, speaking of the big guys, I mean, I know Sims is going to be there. Um, you know, you want to kind of run through kind of the, the bigger guys that maybe, you know, didn't make the consumer shows in 2022 that are going to be at IFTD. Yeah. So we've, we've got bar bank and, um, and Sims, um, uh, let's see, hang on one second. I don't want to leave anybody out here. Um, you know, we got Orvis, SA, um, Rec, REC. Uh, we got Team Footwear, a new a new exhibitor this for this year. Um, Yakima, Waterworks, Siegler. Um, you know, there's a there's a there's quite a, a good bit of um, of companies that have have you know decided that they were going to stick with the show um, after the Delta. Um, you know, fiasco of 21, but you know, it's a lot of smaller companies, um, that are going to be there too, that guys who've just been at the show, they, you know, and they want to, you know, um, they want to be at, they want to be, they want to gather. And that's, and that's really kind of what, um, a lot of the, the feedback that I've been getting from, um, from some of our exhibitors who have been exhibiting with us for a long time. Uh, Ross Reels, Airflow, um, Oros, Mystic Outdoors. Uh, we have some conservation groups. Um, we have Conservation Corner. We have, you know, Bonefish Tarpon Trot, Captains for Clean Water, um, Bahio, Costa. Um, and so it, 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 R.L. Winston, Scott, you know, it's, sorry, it's, there's, there's, a, there's so many. We have a full, a full, spectrum of product and so apparel guys are going to be there howler brothers everybody loves howler um rick and so st croix monic um new exhibitor turtle box audio um we have some uh, uh apps on water app is going to be there so yeah no we're looking you know we're looking pretty good I, i'd be remiss if i didn't say my good friends over at yeti um but they're we, you know, we've got everybody from, you know, small 10 by 10 to, to international brands. Yeah. So we're looking forward to a good show. Yeah. And if you guys go over, uh, you to the, to the website, uh, at AFTA's website, you can see the, uh, the exhibitor list cause it's all posted there. And, um, and there's some really great, you know, you're talking about the big guys, but there's some great small guys there. I think fly vines is going to be there again. Um, I think, uh, fly trap is going to be there. So, I mean, it's, um, it's going to be, a, I think a really good show and, you know, obviously this is the first uh, trade show for AFTA since COVID, you know, you know, what should exhibitors and attendees expect? Well, <clears throat> we are not going to be at pre-pandemic um, level, right? Uh, while the show floor is going to be there, um, you know, the, the it's just kind of like getting it back up, you know, um, getting our feet back underneath us and, and um, you know, kind of walking before we start running again. And, uh, I think the biggest, the, in the, I think probably one of the bigger takeaways that people should get from the show is the question of what does this look like moving forward, right? And I think everybody that's there will have a voice and a platform to, to, to say, hey, we want an industry event, um, uh, but maybe we don't want it in, 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 a, in a convention center. Maybe we want it outdoor and have a practical um, space, or maybe we want it in a, in a, in a resort location. Um, but 
but what we need to do is to get feedback uh, from those who are attending, uh, from the membership um, and the industry as a whole to find out, you know, how that looks moving forward. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, you and I have talked about this multiple times. I mean, you try to figure out how much of the change is COVID, right, and how much of the change COVID accelerated, and then, you know, what's going to bounce back and what's the new normal going to look like? Yeah, yeah, and and it's um, it's it's difficult to say. You know, I, I think no one has a crystal ball. No one had a crystal ball before. Um, what the what the reality is is that prior to COVID, that there was a call from the industry to change what was, you know, what IFTD was, right? Uh, which is a traditional trade show, and I and you know it's it is going to it's going to evolve it's going to be something different. I hope everybody's going to be happy about it. And I think that, you know, with the help that, you know, the feedback that we get from the show um, and from here on, you know, moving forward, uh, we have an opportunity to really kind of um, come up with something that's going to be um, more meaningful to the industry. Yeah, it should be interesting. I mean, you know, I think to survive um, in the industry, people have had to become more digitally adept, right? Um, yeah. cause, cause that was the only option for the last two years. And I guess the kind of the question is, you know, going forward, how do people want to use those new muscles they build? <laughs> right. right? Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of funny. I'm looking at my questions and I was going to ask you about the greatest challenge you had organizing the event, but I tell you what, cause I'm feeling generous. I'm going to give you three challenges. <laughs> <laughs> three challenges. Yeah. Just the top things, right. That, uh, that, uh, made you pull your hair out. Well, so I think th- the first one is is, in, uh, is exhibitor engagement, right? Because um, there's it, with trade shows, it's kind of a chicken or the egg, right? You you, you got to have attendees in order to come or buyers in order to get exhibitors, and you have to have um, exhibitors, you know, to get attendees. And I think um, you know trying to herd cats in that way and just timing that little picture. Or that that window shot of what the floor looks like, or what the exhibitor list looks like, is is, is really kind of um, the hardest part. Um, so, I'd I'd say, you know, to, talking to manufacturers and delivering, right, and then reaching out to retailers or buyers um, and delivering to them as well a diverse product. That doesn't have to be the core. It has to, the core has to be there, but a spec, a nice spectrum of products that they can take back to their shop that, you know, they can have coolers and apparel and other things that will help them stand out from their competitor uh, in their, in their space. Um, the third would be media and media. I, I, anybody that knows me in the media knows that I've, really worked hard to have a great relationship with, with them. Um, been very open with them. Um, been, uh, it's a, it's a, they're, they're, it's changed a lot. You know, there's, there's been some trade, um, changes in trade publications, you know, from a lot of, I think there were four at one time and now there's, you know, three, um, big ones that, um, or three of them have gone virtual and, you know, one's still printing and it's just, uh, everything's kind of shifting, but you know, that may being continuing to be available and transparent to the media, you know, gives them content, 
you know, and it helps them sell magazines, uh, subscriptions and, uh, and advertisements. So, um, I'd say that's the triumvirate right there. That's the, those are the three, um, <laughs> the three things that kind of keep me up at night, if, if you will. Yeah, there you go. And, you know, just to kind of put a bow on the present, you know, for a variety of reasons, and we've touched on this a little bit, you know, exhibitors and attendees who've attended in the past are a little bit unsure. And, you know, they've gotten some kind of positive feedback from the Atlanta Fly Fishing Show and the Denver Fly Fishing Show. But, you know, what do you want to tell them uh, to about why they should plan to attend in Salt Lake City? Well, again, I think that retailers, you know, we, we'd love to have retailers at the show. And we know that we can't talk to every single one of them. Uh, and everybody has reasons why that they, they can't come. And, you know, for the most part, a lot of it is, is, um, is timing or COVID or, um, you know, the objections aren't just that they're not, they don't want to come. Um, what I do want to do is to make sure that those who are coming um, and the ones who are thinking about coming know that we do have some great content, great educational forms um, and, you know, the, Aside from the typical networking opportunities, you know, and the ability just to kind of gather, this is a real opportunity to have your voice heard um, and, and, and let us know, let manufacturers know, hey, this is what we want to see moving forward. Um, and it's, um, if we have consumers in, 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 in part of this event moving forward, it, it's not going to be a buying show right it's just going to be more of education and reaching out to um to these influencers and marketing and um um, on digital media and uh social platforms and so um it's not it's it's not a thing where you if you don't vote you can't talk right it's just we want you to be there to be a part of it and 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 feel the energy of being at the show and recognize the things that, hey, this is what we like, and this is what we'd like to change and moving forward. Yeah, got it. And uh, what's the best place for folks to go to to get the latest information on the event? So you can go to the AFTA.org website. Um, there's a drop-down for IFTD 2022. Um, there's In the drop-down, there's an attendee page. And if you're an exhibitor, there's also an attendee, uh, an exhibitor page. Uh, but all the information's in there as far as registration links. There's housing or hotel links uh, with uh, discounted rates uh, for the show. I think we have um, uh, Delta and we have a car um, Hertz um, discounts as well. Uh, the greatest thing about Salt Lake is uh, the the hotels are um, everything's very close, right? Uh, the hotels are, are, are much cheaper uh, than some of the uh, uh, other venues around the country, uh, the hotel, the airport is, a, is less than a 10 minute, uh, Uber ride, but you can also take, I, I forget, I think it's like $3. It might even be less, uh, take a train from the airport to the, to the convention center. Um, there's great food. There's great, um, uh, places to, to go and meet. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it, there's a Salt Lake, setting up to be a great location for IFTD. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the rail thing is awesome. I know it was that way in Denver too, for the last one. And, um, you know, before I let you go, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners kind of on the after front that's not related to IFTD? 
Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think membership is, is doing well. I think we've got a lot of people who are signing up, which is to, to be members of AFTA, uh, who aren't necessarily um, coming to the show, which is great support for the association. Um, we've doing a, we're doing a, uh, uh, Lucas uh, Bissett is new executive director. He's doing a great job um, in communicating uh, to past and current and, and new members. Um, but yeah, no, I think that we've got a we've got a great opportunity to to come together. And I just, you know, I I will say this: I am, uh, you know, working for ASA and and in the in the larger fishing industry. I've always so envious of the fly fishing industry, and uh, and then a lot of guys who know me that I've always wanted to work for AFLA. And um, I just I love fly fishing. I'm passionate about it. Um, I'm passionate about moving fly fishing forward and my best um way to do that is to help with the trade show and so i just don't want people to miss an opportunity um to to join the show and and be a part of something that that it's your community it's your show it's your association and and you know we welcome you to to be a part of it um in salt lake uh later this month next month yeah, and to kind of keep track of all that sort of stuff, you want to share with folks maybe the best ways to kind of follow AFTA and IFTD on social? Yeah, I mean, uh, so we're on Instagram uh, uh, and um, and Facebook. Uh, I, I think, you know, I think it's uh, IFTD. Oh, gosh. It's okay. I'll drop yeah. all that stuff in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so you can follow us on Instagram and, and, um, and Facebook. Uh, very cool. Well, well, Ken, I really appreciate you taking some time away uh, from your bourbon to talk to me this evening from Mobile, Alabama. <laughs> well, it's always talk, it's always good to talk to someone from home, and I know they're on the other side of of uh, of running it for me growing up, but it it, it 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 feels like home. So I appreciate you having me. Oh no, absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of funny. So just in case, folks, you don't understand, um, you know, Ken and I basically grew up probably forty five minutes away from each other, just on separate sides of the mountain. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and that, I think I think that my wife was uh, listening. We were listening to the podcast the other day and, and my wife was like, wow, he kind of talks like you. And I said, because we're, <laughs> we're both from Virginia and I know it's a little bit, you're a little bit more, you'd be a little bit more Piedmont, but, uh, and I, you know, it's, it's great. It is. It's always fun talking to you, Marvin. Yeah. And I hope your listeners enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm a little bit farther away from West Virginia. That's what it is. <laughs> That's true. This is, and this isn't bourbon. So there you go. Well, listen, Ken, I really appreciate it. Have a good evening. All right. Thanks so much. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Again, if you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. Tight lines, everybody.